Good afternoon. So my name's Cameron Wallace. Um, I'm the head of marketing design for Lone Conservative. It's a small, we're growing online publication for conservative and libertarian high school and college students. And I'm a former fellow for the formerly Policy Institute, but now the Center for Conservative Women. Um, so our next speaker, Ms. Kate Ovenshane Keeler, has spent her incredible career championing, championing liberty in America, influencing policy, and inspiring young people, especially women, in political and leadership positions. As the author of Divider-in-Chief, The Fraud of Hope and Change, Kate is a regular guest on Fox News with numerous appearances on The O'Reilly Factor and Hannity, as well as countless radio and national TV appearances. From 2004 to 2006, she served as the first chairwoman of the Virginia GOP, where she led the fight against tax increases and expanding government. Kate was also the chief education and health policy advisor to former Virginia Governor George Allen, as well as his chief of staff during his time in the Senate. Formerly a president of Young America's Foundation, formerly a vice president of Young America's Foundation, as well as a former member of the NRA National School Shield Advisory Board, Kate speaks across the country at college campuses on a wide variety of issues, including life, national security, education, economic policy, political correctness on college campuses, and changing the role of women in public policy. Currently living in Charlottesville, Virginia, Kate is a board member of Young America's Foundation and the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women, and in 2005, she received the Claire Booth Luce Conservative Leadership Award. It's an honor to introduce a woman that has personally inspired me in my journey of fighting modern-day feminism, and I'm so excited for y'all to be inspired as well. Please join me in welcoming Ms. Kate Obenstein Keeler. All right, so uh, Rachel was amazing, and I was literally freaking out back there because I do not a single thing she told you to do. <laughs> not one of them. I mean, this speech is a total brain dump, I hate to tell you. It is, uh, and oh, and I spoke one time, I did um, MSNBC one time with Chris Matthews, I mean, my gosh, and to talk about, I, I had my talking points. I mean, I did my little prepare, you know, get ready for the tough questions. And he asked me this one question, and I was totally, totally blank. I mean, it's the only time, I've been on TV hundreds of times, that is the only time that I just went totally blank. I had no idea how to answer this question. I mean, all this role playing was really great. So I looked at the camera, because you're staring at a camera, I stared at the camera, and finally said, whatever. That was my response. I, I said, whatever. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed to remember that. So don't do that. I mean, just don't. Start talking, say something. That is, I, they, yeah, that was really, really bad. Uh, <laughs> so I am so happy to be talking to you about feminism's betrayal. So when uh, Camille asked me to do that topic, I haven't talked about feminism in a long time because the feminists make me so angry. I mean, I really, I have a hard time reading, you know, researching because it makes you sick. It really does what they're doing. So I'm like, oh, Camille, I think I'll do something about how, you know, modern day feminism, how we need to be vulnerable and blah, blah, blah. And Camille writes back, uh, no. Michelle's not good with vulnerability or anything like that. Let's talk about the betrayal of feminism. And I love that because we had somebody's got to be talking about it, right? Because you all are just being indoctrinated on campuses. Um, so Michelle Easton, speaking of a great uh, role model for traditional strong women, 
I'll never, I, I'll never forget. The, are, yeah, you're in here. Okay. She was so kind to me once when, did you break your leg? She broke her leg. I mean, she's, this was a long time ago. This was not this time. This was 20 years ago, I guess, because I was pregnant. So she calls me up and says, Kate, um, I'm supposed to give a speech on the failures of feminism. So would you mind doing it for me? Would you mind going to this college campus and doing it for me? I'm like, sure, I'm happy to do that. And she said, OK, so it's at Smith. Smith College, going, I'm supposed to go and talk about it. That is the most liberal campus on the face of the planet. It really is. That's where Gloria Steinem, didn't she go there? So I had to go to Smith College and talk about the failures of feminism. So there are all these girls, girls, I'm going to call them girls because it would really tick them off, who came <laughs> ready to throw pies at me, turn their backs on me. They had posters. You know, they were going to be nasty. So, okay, I'm going to back up a little bit. Somebody was saying, how do we maintain our femininity and that sort of, how do we remain genuine to who we are? So flying up there on this tiny little prop plane that Michelle made reservations for me on, you know, bouncing away, I'm, uh, I'm reading my speech, and it is red meat. I am, I am frothing at the mouth. I am ready to go. I am, you know, I'm geared. I'm pregnant. I'm like ready, ready. And I've been, honestly, I've been doing this Bible study about Barnabas. Anybody who knows about Barnabas, he's the gracious saint. Okay, so it was an intense Bible study. So the whole way up there, I'm thinking, gracious saint, gracious saint, red meat, red meat. <laughs> so I, I rewrote my whole speech because of Barnabas in my head, okay, because of God. So I go up there and I give this speech about the failures of feminism, but I really open my heart up. You know, I tell them who I am. And I try to come at it as a, a woman, a human being, where we, we have some things in common, whether we're liberal or conservative or what. And after the speech, the poor, um, lonely college Republican advisor, the only conservative professor, probably within miles and miles and miles, came up to me. Nobody threw anything at me. Nobody got up and walked out. But he came up to me and he said, Kate, your graciousness won them over. Is that so cool? I mean, I just, and it's not, all oh, aren't I great? It's, oh my gosh, we can use different forms of communication in order to reach people effectively. And I think different forms of communication for different moments. Ann Coulter has her place in the conservative movement. You know, she throws those intellectual hand grenades that just blow up the campus the campus conversation, people actually start talking about those things that we are ordered not to talk about. So I think I'm going to tell you just a, because I am going to follow one of Rachel's directions. This was going to be at the end, but I'll switch things up for in honor of her because it was a great. Everything she said is great. Do not do what I do. Don't just run all over the place and make, you know, hopefully you can come up with a cohesive point from my speech, but I don't promise that I'm going to deliver it in any sort of cohesive way. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my, myself because I started off, I was at UVA, I was, a, I was a bomb thrower, really I was, and worked for YAF, and I gave speeches for Michelle, for Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute, when I was just a new mom. I gave these speeches, oh, they were beautiful. They were all about how mothers should stay home with their babies. I know, well, that's not the end of the story. But it, they were just eloquent. They were just, oh, it's so beautiful. And, and marriage is forever, 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 forever. There is no excuse. 
Okay, for <laughs> the past 15 years, I've been a divorced working mom. Uh, that you just, you just never know what's, I know, I know. It's just to say, I still believe that if you want to stay home with your babies, that's awesome. And I do think that it's ideal for children to have their moms or a dad, I'm not, I'm not particular, whoever, but a parent at home raising their children, but it's not always feasible. It doesn't always work. And I do believe that marriage should be forever, but it doesn't always work that way either. And the one thing that I will say as I'm jumping around from topic to topic, ladies, most important decision you're ever gonna make, who you marry. Know that man well. Make sure you agree on the basic principles of life. I strongly suggest that you uh, agree ideologically. It's, I, bet it's, I mean, Mary Madeline and James Carville have made it work, but I think that is very tough. Make sure that you have the same values. You might want to do a psychiatric evaluation as well. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's really not such a bad idea. So anyway, my point is that I have evolved due to circumstances. Then um, in the introduction, it was mentioned that I was the first woman chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia. So that happened. It was kind of out of the blue. I had my four babies. Lucy, who is here today, was nine months in the little car seat in the back. And I got a call. I was not, I was not in politics. I was not working. I was living the dream, staying home with my babies. And I got this call from Governor Allen, and he said, disaster at the Republican Party of Virginia. The current chairman have, has eavesdropped on the Democrat. They had the strategy call, and our brilliant party chairman taped the call, you know, committing all sorts of violent, federal violations. It's awful. So disaster. So they at least had the, the Republican leaders had the wisdom to say, we need to bring in a woman, which I thought was great. And somebody who's sort of a fresh face out from the Senate. So I'd worked for Allen before. So he called me. Other leaders called me. I said, no way. I am very happy with what I am doing right now. You all find somebody else. And they kept coming and said, you have to do it. You have to do it. I said, OK, I'll do it. And I remember the moment when I finally said, yes, I'll do it. I drove up to my house. Lucy was in the back seat. My three little boys were inside with babysitter or something. Now I pull up, and just the enormity of what I had committed to, that I, you know, they say it's a part-time job to be chairman of an entire state. It's not a part-time job. You are on the road. Um, I just sat there, and I sobbed. I just thought, my life is about to change dramatically, and I'm not sure that it's the right thing to do. So I was completely conflicted. I was at a really bad place in a marriage at that point, so I wasn't feeling good about myself. And it turned out that this job was a blessing from God because I realized, oh, I'm really great at something. I made, my children were a priority. They came with me to so many things, and it worked out fine. But I want to tell you about some examples of sexism that I did experience because don't, I mean, we can't say it doesn't exist. We conservative women acknowledge that this is a fallen world. People are going to be jerks. So I'm, I was talking on the phone to my consultant that they had you know, assigned to me. And the consultant heard my four small children in the background because that's what happens when you have four small children. You hear them. They're not quiet. They're very, very loud. And he said, um, Kate are those your kids in the background? Yes, they are my kids in the background. He said, well, when you talk to people asking for their support, don't let them hear the kids. Like, whoa, okay, okay, because I said I didn't know what I was doing. Like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'll make sure nobody can hear. So when I would call members of the committee who would be electing me, 
uh, they would say, um, don't you have children? Of course, they could not hear the children because the children were in, you know, like in the closet or something because I'm trying to <laughs> keep them quiet. So don't you have four children? I'm like, well, how did you know? No, yes, I have four small children. And it was mostly the women on this committee said, well, shouldn't you be staying home with them? Like, whoa, whoa, isn't it? Aren't we at a place where you can let me decide for the welfare of my children? But part of me was like, I know I should be at home with them. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're pulled in these different directions. And it is so, we have to rely on our wisdom and our faith and our, our situation to know what is right for us, not these external pressures. One from the left saying, you must work. You must put your children in daycare. You must not, motherhood is not worthy of you. And the other from those who say, don't even think about working part-time, working full-time, your children are, you know, you must. We, we true conservatives believe we give women enough credit to decide what is right for our families. But the other, when I was, uh, okay, so I was elected chairman of the party. Wait, I want to tell you about one other example of sexism that did not come from our side, because let's be fair, where does it usually come from? Not our side. So I was appointed to the State Council of Higher Education for Virginia. I'd worked for George Allen when he ran for office, and I had been his chief policy advisor on education and health. So he nominates me once I'm, once I'm married and off not in the government anymore, nominates me for this higher education council. What does the leading Democrat in the state Senate say when I came up for confirmation? Kate Obenshane, what does stuffing envelopes and licking stamps do to qualify you for this position? Excuse me? Then he said my dog is more qualified because I'm a woman. I thought that was pretty amazing. So then, back to when I was elected chairman of the party, everybody was all excited that I was the first woman chairman of the party. And I couldn't have cared less. I thought it was ridiculous to be, because I never doubted that there would be a woman chairman of the party. It just didn't matter to me. So when the press was all there saying, oh, Kate, are you going to be chairwoman? I said, no, I'm going to be chairman. Their heads started spinning in circles. They were so upset that you know a, a woman would be called chairman. It's universal, universal man. But anyway, so I traveled around the state of Virginia meeting with the women because I had not been involved in the party, the state party. And I talked to all these groups, not women, I talked to groups of local Republicans. And after every single speech, there was a line of women waiting to talk to me, shake my hand. Some of them, especially the older women, had tears running down their face. I am not exaggerating, saying, I never thought we'd see the day in Virginia when we'd have a woman chairman of the party. That blew my mind. This was back in 2003, so it was a while ago, but I think to some extent it is still like that. And I just realized we have a bit of a problem in conservative circles, in the, in the, um, the party process. So I started a women's leadership training program. A lot of women like you participated in it. They were 25 women selected from across the state. They were highly, uh, they were highly educated, accomplished. The first day of this class, I went in there and I said, how many of you women would consider running for office one day? One, maybe one, tentative little hand went up. And everybody said, well, I like being in a supportive role. I like being in the background. And as Michelle said, sometimes that's the case, that women do like being in the background, and they don't want to run for office. But by the last day of that training session, after we'd had training sessions in speaking, raising money, dealing with the media, 
I asked the same question. How many of you women would consider someday running for office? Every hand shot up boldly, proudly, confidently. And it's a matter of just, that's why you all are here. We talked about courage. That is what this is about. Skills, yes, we want to give you skills and confidence. And it's about courage. Once you've got some of those skills and some of that confidence, then the courage comes. But surely, do not wait until you have all of the answers. Do not wait until you feel, feel truly prepared. We need you now. And one of the primary reasons why we need you now is feminism's betrayal. It is stunning. It is heartbreaking. Let's talk about the ways that feminism has betrayed women. And I think it's pretty simple. Instead of encouraging us to be strong and confident and successful, I believe feminism has made women weak and made women look for offenses. It's promoted them as sex objects. How ironic is that? Supposedly, the feminist movement was going to end the objectification of women. I think women have never in the history of our country been more objectified than they are today thanks to the feminist movement. They are seen as sex objects, particularly on college campuses, but all across our culture, they are seen as sex objects. Men can have them anytime any way they want, because women have been told that their needs for sex are exactly the same as men. They've sort of eliminated that whole love component that is an absolute need of women. Even Betty Friedan recognized that when in her second, second stage, the book that she wrote after The Feminine Mystique, for which she was driven out of the feminist movement, by the way, the mother of the modern-day feminist movement was driven out because she acknowledged that women have different needs from men. Um, I think that it has encouraged women to look at marriage with skepticism at best and often with disdain. It's disparaged the whole notion of motherhood. To be a mother and to be comfortable and satisfied in that role, I think feminism does not want that. It wants to force it. So again, taking away that choice. Um, Instead, just what Kristen was talking about, the, the lie about having a choice whether or not to have a baby, they encourage abortion and they absolutely encourage singleness and single motherhood, not lasting, healthy marriages. And I think it's taking away, uh, well, of course, it's robbed and betrayed women by encouraging millions of, of babies to be aborted. I can't think of any way that it has um, betrayed women more than that. I think also it has denied women a pool of men, strong men, who seek to be their providers and protectors. And that is, I know, a crazy uh, ancient way of looking at men. But actually, I think it's something that a lot of women want. Do they want men to you know, tell them what to do? And no, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. But I want a strong man who's willing to stand up for me and who's willing to provide for me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mona Charon has said that the feminist movement has caused women to needlessly throw away their sexual power. And I talk, that's what I'm, when I talk about how we've been told that we have the same needs as men. Sexual power that women have by the, that incredibly powerful word, no, has been thrown away. And now women don't have that power anymore. Of course, the feminist movement says that men and women 
are exactly the same. There is a lot of harm and damage that comes from that. They say that we have the same hopes, desires, dreams, and motivators, even the same biological makeup, I mean, except the most obvious. They say our brains are exactly the same, regardless of the universal scientific opinion otherwise. There are a lot of problems confronting the feminist movement when it comes to these lies and these betrayals. One of them, of course, is biology. Women are extremely different from men. Also, a big problem for the feminist movement in perpetuating the lies and the betrayal is the army of conservative women and many liberal women who refuse to give up so easily. I can't tell you the impact that the Center for Conservative Women has had over the past 25 years and the impact that Michelle Easton has had all across the country encouraging young conservative women. She encouraged me. She gave me an enormous amount of courage. I mean, there were times when I did feel that I didn't have the power to stand up for what I believed in. And Michelle would get in my face and say, you better get out there. We need you. And I'm telling you, we need all of you out there championing what we believe in, what you believe in. So Michelle has done a great deal. Also, feminists themselves have, have been so helpful in exposing this betrayal because they are complete and total hypocrites. I think we all completely agree. Plus, their movement has zilch, zilch, zero to do with women. It has to do with political power. It is a political power grab. Absolutely, it's about promoting abortion. But it's also about political power. I think originally there was an intent to destroy marriage and attack men, but since then it's, involved, it's evolved into an exercise in identity politics and the accumulation of political power. How do we know this? It's complete, the complete hypocrisy. Never in the history of mankind, humankind, have women been as successful educationally, economically, and socially as now here in America, and yet... They, the liberal feminists wail louder than ever that Western oppression not only still exists, but is actually getting worse. I mean, it's getting worse. They ignore the successes that women have achieved. Women have, have achieved great successes, by the way, under the Trump administration. And I was going to tell you the numbers, but I listened to the last speech, and I'm not going to tell you the numbers, but you can look those up. But they have done economically, they're, and they're the percentage of women who have re-entered the workforce and the joblessness rate has gone down under Donald Trump. But are you ever going to hear that acknowledged? Trust me, no, you're never going to hear that. Feminism is absolutely not about women. Because one other, I mean, the most obvious thing that they do, and this drives me nuts and this is why I don't really like giving the speech because it makes me so mad. They ignore the legitimate oppression and brutality against women that goes on around the world. Completely ignore it. They actually claim that it would be imperialist or something to challenge burqas. I have a, don't even tell me that that is a woman's choice to wear a burqa. I mean, you can tell me that, and I'll be happy to argue. And maybe a few, but listen to somebody like Ion Hershey Ali, who very compellingly, having grown up in four Islamist countries, makes a powerful argument that no woman would choose to be covered from head to toe with just their eyes showing. That is not a woman's choice. Somebody has convinced her that that is God's will. Um, Sharia law, 
Never. I'm never. If anything, I hear them defend the notion of Sharia law. See, I'm getting really mad. This is not my smile. I should have smile at the top of this, but this ticks me off, and I think it probably ticks you guys off too. Arranged marriages, forced pregnancies, and the one that really gets me, because it just kills me, is female genital mutilation. I mean, it is a stunt. There was a picture in Time magazine or something of a precious little girl just at the moment, and I'll, it'll never, ever leave me. It's just I can't believe we're sitting back that the feminists are not saying anything about this, that somehow it's imposing our Western um, uh, capitalist values by saying that women should be treated equally to men, that women should be allowed to leave their house without a male chaperone. Can you imagine that women should be uh, just, mm. uh, you don't hear them talking about the Taliban burning down schools in Afghanistan, at least I don't. Uh, unwanted baby girls being left to die in rural areas of India. South Africa having one of the highest rape rates in the world and the women who are devastated by that culture. Millions of African Americans suffering from AIDS and the attitude of men there towards women. Women here want to talk about sexism. American sexism, not African sexism, which actually genuinely is rampant. What about this one I'm not allowed to say either. I'm not allowed to say any of those things. What about the oppression of women in Muslim countries? We're not even supposed to have a discussion about that or we are xenophobic. We hate other cultures if we're willing to talk about that. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say for now about that. But how about the women who say Bill Clinton harassed, assaulted, and even raped them? Do you hear that? I'm trying to think, have we? No, we've never, they do not, they do not challenge Bill Clinton, other than if they talk about those women, it's to disparage those women. Thank you, Hillary Clinton. Feminism is about abortion. It's about radical leftism. It's about identity politics, that political power. And you know what it's about? It's about weakness. It's teaching women to see attacks and intimidation everywhere. It's telling them that we cannot make it unless someone else protects us finds a safe space for us, brings us cookies and puppies to pat when Donald Trump wins and Hillary Clinton loses because we can't handle it. Keeps them from saying something that might offend our sensibilities because we can't handle that. This is what feminism is supposed to be going after. It's supposed to be empowering women and it does the exact opposite. Look at, let's look at some of modern feminisms, you know, the causes that they champion. Most recently, it was the ERA amendment. Seriously, the ERA amendment. How bizarre was that? Um, if that's not evidence of a movement without a purpose, I don't know what is. Suggesting that we need an amendment to grant us what we already have. And I was looking, uh, this video popped up on, I know, it just says I'm old to say I was looking at Facebook, but it popped up on Facebook or something. And it was Ainsley Hayes. Did any of you, have any of you watched The West Wing? Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? I love that. Isn't it the best? Okay, I'm going to read it to you, but not in her beautiful southern accent. We've got, well, I guess I do have a bit of a southern accent, so maybe. So Ainsley, West, the West Wing, I love that you young people are nodding your heads. Do you women of, not that you're not young, but you women of Washington know what I'm talking about, the West Wing? Okay, so Ainsley Hayes was the only conservative character on this entire crazy, wacko leftist show. And it was just this moment where I know any conservatives who actually watched the show stood up and cheered when she was talking to, 
what's his name? Rob Lowe. I can't remember what his name was on the show, but anyway. And Sam, right, right, okay, Sam, when they're talking about the, he's like, I can't believe you wouldn't support the ERA amendment. You're a woman. What is your deal? And she said, finally, she gets to this tipping point and launches on him and says, you know why I'm opposed to the ERA amendment? It's humiliating. A new amendment we vote on declaring that I am equal under the law to a man. I am mortified to discover there is reason to believe that I wasn't before. I am a citizen of this country. I'm not a special subset in need of your protection. I do not have to have my rights handed down to me by a bunch of old white men. The same Article 14 that protects you and pr protects me, and I went to law school just to make sure. I thought that was really awesome. And then it comes back. Seriously, Phyllis Schlafly dies and leaves us without her, and it comes back, which I thought was really tacky for them to wait until Phyllis was gone to bring it back. But we learned from Phyllis, so we were ready for him. So let's talk about the Women's March. Okay. I know. I know some conservatives who actually went to the Women's March. Maybe you did too, to beat. I mean, to to hold up our interests, and that's fine. But I would not swell their crowds, not for anything. Um, but the Women's March is not about promoting equality for women. It is a political effort to attack one person. Who would that be? Donald Trump. They really hate Donald Trump. And. Um, Remember how they rejected, how they kicked out all the pro-life groups and all the conservative groups? It was not about promoting women. It was about wearing those stupid little pink hats and attacking Donald Trump. It, now, what is cool about the Women's March, and it is cool, is how it's imploding. And to me, it's a microcosm for what's happening on the left. And actually, it's not cool. It's very scary because of the implications for broader society. It is, exposes the turmoil, hate, and self-destruction of what's happening on the left. Um, so in addition, let's see, uh, they also, they attack, they attack Trump, but they also want to showcase what they believe to be the system-wide victimization that has been going out throughout history and is now intensifying. It's getting worse. Seriously, in our country, the victimization is getting worse. But in order to do that, they have to promote um, this notion that there are groups of victims, so that's identity politics, but also that there is a hierarchy of grievances. This is where the whole identity politics comes in and, and the conflict comes into which group has been victimized the most. And that's when they start turning on each other. So is it white, white women who've been victimized, black women, Muslim women? Jewish women do not make their list. On their website, there's, there's Muslim, Muslim women are on their list. Women of color are on the list. Nothing about Jewish women are on their list. Lesbians, are lesbians the most um, uh, victimized? And then you get into trans. Uh-huh. And that's when the lesbians and the trans are like, so they, it's, it's fascinating. So that's why, you know, this Tamika Mallory, have y'all been following the leaders? If you don't know about the leaders of the Women's March, that is your homework. You must Google the four leaders of the Women's March, including Linda Sassour, very scary lady, who's totally pro-Sharia law, has called for jihad against Donald Trump. That means murder. That means killing him. And everybody's like, la, 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 no big problem. But Tamika Mallory just loves... One guy who's big, great, big old champion of women, you know who it is? Louis Farrakhan. Oh. 
She goes to all of his rallies. She tweets pictures with him. I can't, I can't think of anybody who hates women and Jewish people more than Louis Farrakhan. So that's great. Um, in addition to the hierarchy of grievances, there also have to be, uh, there has to be like this hierarchy of those of us who oppress women. And I'm sorry, but conservative women are among those who oppress women. So you've got capitalism, capitalists are oppressing women, white males are oppressing women, Donald Trump, of course, and frighteningly, Jews are anti-woman. That's what Tamika Mallory said as she turned on one of the co-founders of the Women March and said, you cannot possibly understand, essentially, because you are a Jew and you're part of the oppression um, against women. This is, this is not of just about feminism. So as you look at how feminism has betrayed us, you have to look at it in the broader context of the left. And it goes back to Saul Alinsky and the rules for radicals, and it's so lovely that not, I don't think a single person has mentioned this person, and it's so nice that we don't have to talk about him anymore, but I'm going to, Barack Obama. <laughs> this is what he did. He ripped us apart. He divided us, um, and this was the beginning of the, it wasn't the beginning, but it was the culmination of identity politics. Barack Obama really brought it to the front, and he succeeded with this identity politics. So if you, somebody mentioned, um, if, if you oppose, um, or if you're in favor of reforming entitlements, which are going to totally bankrupt you and your children, then you hate poor people. So it's not you have a difference of opinion, but you actually hate poor people. So if um, you believe that immigration should be reformed, you are a xenophobe, and you hate anybody who doesn't look like you. So you're a racist. So basically, there's the identity politics. White people hate people uh, who are coming into this country, who don't look like they look. We can thank Barack Obama for that. Rich against poor, white against black didn't matter. He attempted to say that vast swaths of the American people are less decent. They are morally flawed because they disagree on a policy matter. That is what has succeeded in shutting so many of us down because we don't want to be seen as haters. We can't stand that. I mean, it does have an effect on you that you want to be seen as, as likable and as open-minded and tolerant because all these attributes that they ascribe to us are antithetical to what we as conservatives believe in. Now, remember the war on women? That wasn't too long ago, but that was Obama's identity politics. So... <clears throat> As the leaders of the Women's March have found out, it's not that easy because they begin turning on each other. It was conservatives who actually raised the hue and cry about the anti-Semitism among the leaders of the women, Women's March. And I'm so glad that they did. But they're also, we're also finding that now in newly elected members of Congress. And that would be Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. Are they not amazing? I mean, they're amazing in a really amazingly bad way. Um, supporting, supporting, boycotting, sanctioning, and divesting from Israel, tweeting just the uh, appalling stuff. Um, Omar tweeted that support for Israel is, quote, all about the Benjamins. I mean, she's not even pretending not to be anti-Semitic. And then, of course, the left is ignoring it, or they're 
you know, giving a teensy weensy little rap on the, on the knuckles, saying, no problem, we just, we're not gonna have, we're not gonna go after her. National Review, I think, put it really well, and I wanna read what they wrote. They explained that phenomenon of not being willing to say to Ilhan Omar, we don't go for anti-Semitism in this country, thank you very much. We don't tolerate that, that is not acceptable. They don't say that to her and this is why. Many on the left believe that as a woman of color, a Muslim and an immigrant, Omar cannot, by definition, be a purveyor of hate and prejudice. One way that identity politics manifests is that those who are considered oppressed receive immunity to do those things considered that those, that those considered more privileged cannot do. Hence, the Democrats, particularly the Black Caucus, sought to defend Omar rather than to disavow her. And I think that is so, so true. We're also doing that, we're ignoring the offenses of Democrat men. Um, of course, you've got Joe Biden. Can you believe how quiet the left has been? No, it's not a disqualifying, they're, they're just so, Nancy Pelosi does not know what to do with herself because these standards that they have set, now Democrats are violating. Do you remember when, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, who's the comedian, Al Franken? Um, who was it, the um, woman who's running for, thank you, Gillibrand defended him. And, and that happens again and again. And of course, Nancy Pelosi defended John Conyers. Was it John Conyers who was accused of sexual harassment? I don't want to say the wrong person. That would be so bad. Um, and of course, they're all sort of, the Washington Post, is, they defend, the Washington Post, remember what the Washington Post said about Kavanaugh? This, and that was a bizarre accusation that had no foundation, no corroboration, let's say that. Um, the Washington, Washington Post said this of Joe Biden, this affectionate and sometimes intimate physical style is one of the former vice president's trademarks, a defining feature of the warm and upbeat persona he has built during more than four decades in the national spotlight. Alyssa M Milano, the big women's march champion said, I believe that Joe Biden's intent has never been to make anyone uncomfortable. Isn't that nice? And, and of and then, of course, we've got this Justin Fairfax thing, which I have to point out. He's the lieutenant governor of Virginia. He has been accused by two women, one of aggravated sexual assault, I don't know, the other one of rape. And they were on CBS Morning News last week. If you haven't seen those videos, you should go look at them. These women are extremely compelling. And they are extremely specific. They know it was Justin Fairfax. They know what happened. They know when it happened. They know how it happened. And yet, we're saying virtually nothing about it. Compare that to the response to the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. Um, Jill uh, Filipovic tweeted, at least women now see a little more clearly how much we don't matter to the people in charge. Harper's Bazaar, our rage burns so brightly. I look out and I see a nation of women incandescent with rage. We will burn the patriarchy patriarchal institutions to the ground, and I pray that for our daughters, the blaze will light the way forward. I haven't heard her say anything about Joe Biden or these allegations. And then let's just shift and look at what they're saying about two, I think they should be feminist icons right now. And one of those would be Kellyanne Conway. 
According to the mainstream media, she is said to look in her inaugural outfit like, quote, a night terror of an android majorette. She is compared to the witch in The Wizard of Oz. She um, was said to be in a familial position in the Oval Office when she was sitting on her knees in a couch, on a couch. She has been called the, quote, sewer rat Barbie who looked eerily like the troll meme face. The Atlantic mentioned, the Atlantic, I consider them a fairly reputable journalistic um, source. They had, they had to mention her mis mascara mishap from a TV interview in a supposedly substantive article. And of course, Anderson Cooper's famous eye roll when she was speaking. Can you imagine Anderson Cooper doing that to another, a Democrat woman? or any man, no I can't. Sarah Sanders, you all have heard them as much as I have. She's been called a harlot that they're dressing up and trolloping out every day, um, a proper trollop. She's been called a fat, sedu seductively dressed fool. A Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, David Horsey wrote, by comparison, Sanders looks more like a chunky soccer mom who organizes snacks for the kids' games. Rather than fake eyelashes and formal dresses she puts on for news briefings, Sanders seems as if she'd be more comfortable in sweats and running shoes. And it goes on and on and on. And of course, Melania Trump, they go after like crazy. So when you're sitting in your college classrooms and your professors have the audacity to start talking about how feminism champions women, I beg of you to dig deep and find the courage to raise your hand and just say, I think there might be another perspective. Or could we please talk about how feminists are not defending conservative women? They have, they'll have this whole line about how Kellyanne Conway, just like her university says she's being used as a t her, her alma mater, that she's a tool of the Trump administration. You hit right back and say, how dare you call a successful woman a troll of anybody. We have our own minds. And we get to make up our minds and decide what we believe in and who we support. Now, this morning, Kristen was talking about the conflict that we're going to encounter. We are going to encounter so much conflict. But I don't want that to scare you away. And I don't, I don't really like conflict. I mean, I, I thrive when it happens, but I don't look for it. <laughs> my life is much more pleasant when my blood pressure is not going up. But you know, you get used to it. But you start getting used to it like I did in college by simply raising your hand and saying something. And then getting more involved, starting up um, a loose chapter or a chapter or Students for Life. You, you get involved, you recruit other people to be involved with you. And I just want to tell you one little story. I, you got to grow the skin of an armadillo, y'all. You have to believe in something bigger than yourself. And it, it might be life that, you, that is your motivating purpose. I loved that Michelle asked us that question this morning because you've got to be thinking about what motivates me? It's not me. It's not people thinking I look great on Fox and telling me how pretty my hair was that day. Because the two people who say that, they're going to be 100 that are going to call me names that I would not repeat ever. And they have. But who cares if my motivating purpose in life is liberty? And it really is. And I know that sounds, it might sound like a geek when I say it, but 
freedom and liberty that our founding fathers fought and died for. It was novel in this country. I mean, what we did was not like supposed to happen. In fact, it was not supposed to happen. We were going to lose Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Patrick Henry. They were all going to hang. They were, they were traitors. And we were up against the strongest military power on the face of the planet. But they believed that liberty comes from our creator. It comes from God, not from government, but from God. That is what motivates me. I don't care what they call me. I believe that liberty comes from God. Okay, so one day, I'm going to finish with this. I was driving, I was doing all these speeches for this organization about lowering taxes in Virginia. And it was the hottest daggone day in Virginia ever. And I was going all over the state, and I just wanted to be home with my children. I really did. I was, it was busy time for me, and I wanted to be home with my kids. And I get, I'm headed towards Richmond, which is my last stop, and I think, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to blow this off. I am, somebody else can do this. I have, I'm tired of defending liberty, daggone it. <laughs> and let me just preface this by saying that I, I somebody's uh, liberty, you said that your parents are crazy. I'm totally crazy. I made all of my children memorize Patrick Henry's speech, you know, give me liberty. <laughs> all of them had to memorize it. And um, so I'm, I finally said, okay, fine, I'll do this last speech in Richmond, but then I'm out of there. And I'm grumpy, and I'm angry, and I don't care about taxes. So I'm driving in. I grew up in Richmond. I've never, ever been to this part of Richmond that I came in. And it, it was why Richmond was named the murder capital of the world, because it is so sketch and seedy. So I'm flying through town as fast as I can. I'm going through red lights. I don't care. Just get me to this stupid speech so I can go home. And I come to this stop sign, I actually stopped, and I looked up on my left, and there is St. John's Church, which those of you who know your history know that that's where Patrick Henry delivered his famous speech. Now, please realize that this was before the colonists were even remotely on his side. They were not ready to be freed from the tyranny of England. And this is, I've never even seen, I had never seen it. I mean, I have read the speech a million times. I feel this words of the speech, and I'd never seen it, and I just sat there at that stop sign, and you almost think I cry all the time, but the tears poured down my face, <laughs> because I just was thinking, oh my gosh, they were willing to die. They were willing to die, and I'm grumpy about an afternoon defending the rights that God gave me and gave my children. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains or slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what others may do, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. People, that was the moment. And you've got to find your moment. That's my motivating moment. When I get tired and grumpy, I remember the gift that God gave me of seeing that church when I was headed to do something I didn't want to do. And I will spend the rest of my life championing liberty so that we can pass it along, not only as it is now, but good heavens, let's expand it as our founding fathers envision, so that I can pass it along expanded to our children. So stand up to the feminists, stand up to the liberals who don't care about your liberty and your freedom. They want us all to be completely equal, and that means far lower than we are right now. So please dig deep and find the courage to stand up for freedom. Thank you all so much. Do we have time? Okay. All right, we got a few minutes for questions. 
Hello? Okay. Um, so I, you, I know you just talked about this, and um, I know we can all agree that like modern feminism sucks, and like it's awful. That was my point, that's my takeaway yeah. for today, okay? It, it totally sucks, yeah. Um, and um, they've kind of took something really beautiful and they made it yes. something awful. So my question for you is, how can we bring the real definition of feminism back? Like, or how can we take it back? Yeah, it's a tough You know, because um, it's like, feminism, I think, is the reason why we're all here today, like, as women. Because we're strong right? women, right? Right. Right. And so um, I think it's something worth fighting for instead of just like, oh, you know, we should just let them take the word. Like, I think we should take it back and say, like, no, this is what feminism means. Like, it's equality of the sexes. Like, it's equality for men and for women, and it's empowering, and it's beautiful, instead of saying, like, oh, we're going to wear the pink hats that start well, with the P that's word. A, you know what I mean? That's a great question. And if there ha ever has been a time to take it back, it's really going to be really hard, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. Now is the time. Um, OK, I should know her name. What's the name of Hermione? What, who played Hermione? Right. So she's, I know y'all are disgusted. I heard that in your voice. She said that she didn't want to call herself a feminist because feminism has such a bad name. I believe she was the one who said that. But I've heard that from a lot of celebrities, not that we care what celebrities say. But it's interesting that feminism has such a negative connotation now. And I think it has that because it's seen as so completely hypocritical and bankrupt. So if ever there has been a time to take it back, now is the time. But Christina Hoff Summers has been trying to do that for a long time, talking about equity feminism. I honestly, I don't have an answer for you. And I don't, I mean, I, it's funny because I was trying to do that sort of with my title for the speech that I wanted to give and Michelle, I think rightly nixed that because it is, we're not at a place where you can say, oh, I'm a feminist and people understand what that means. Personally, I say I am a strong woman and I believe that we are equal and that we are equal under the, under the law. Currently, as it is now, if you feel like you are being oppressed in any way, stand up and fight for your rights because you actually have them. If, you're not, if you feel oppressed, it's because you're not standing up for, what you, for your rights and for under, we have the legal parameters to ensure that we are treated exactly the same as men are. If you feel like you're not making as much as a guy, go talk to your boss. And by the way, before you take the job, negotiate the salary. Because a lot of men are willing to negotiate the salary, women aren't. Um, by the way, we don't need to talk about that wage gap, do we? Because everybody knows that's a big lie, right? When you take out, okay, it's not apples. You can't compare apples to oranges on that. But I'm happy to talk to anybody about that afterwards. So I think if you can do it, do it. And I think your generation is the one to do it. Maybe it's a totally different name that we haven't even come up yeah. with yet. I, I would object if there were a wage gap, by the way, for the same, doing the same job, that you've, you have the same experience, same qualities, same um, capabilities. Absolutely, you should be making the same. It's women, when women make choices to maybe take 15 years out of the workforce, or when they make choices to get an English degree as opposed to an engineering degree, then you have to compare like to like. And when you do compare like to like, people in the same industries with the same experience, 
the supposed wage gap virtually disappears. And in fact, in entry-level jobs, in some entry-level jobs in some uh, particular areas, women have earned more than men. Yes? So something that's kind of held me back from really pursuing writing op-eds or speaking is the like fear that I'll say something wrong or that I'm fighting for the wrong thing. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about, like, for instance, I know abortion's wrong and I'm never going to be like skeptical about that, but certain laws or wordings of things. So how do you just kind of deal with that at the end of the day, especially like looking back and knowing something you believed at a certain time was wrong? Right. And oh. that people know that you were wrong and you know you're wrong and that how is, you kind of cope with that and deal with that. That is awesome. And that's where vulnerability comes in, Michelle. And transparency, I get to use the word, which is such a liberal catchphrase, I know. But I think you acknowledge, in fact, oh my gosh, if you looked back at some of the things that I've said, and written um, in ink, and it exists. I was so stupid when, on some of the things that I said. But would I, would I have not said anything just to protect myself from the criticism I would get now for saying something wrong back then? No, no. I learned so much from putting myself out there and even saying things that um, factually turned out not to be so, or my opinion has evolved, and it was not what it is now. Um, You've got to just go for it. Fact check yourself, okay? So if you write an editorial, don't just you know say whatever you want to say. Make sure it's accurate, but don't you know go down in so far into the weeds that you never publish your editorial or write your op-ed. You have to just at some point you have to let your brain, your brain power, your beliefs stand for themselves. And of course, at some point you go out there and you openly. So if, if I were running for office today, I would say, hey, by the way, press and all of you people, um, I have said some really stupid things in the past. And I was 18, 20, 25, when, not that y'all say stupid things, but I did. And when I said them, and you're just going to have to ask me what I believe now and trust that I've evolved. And you know, if you don't want to vote for me because I said something stupid when I was 18, that's your prerogative. But I think acknowledging that you were in error at the outset. I think waiting um, until they find it, just like you know, Ralph Northam waited until they found the blackface picture, oh, and then our attorney general waited until they found the blackface picture, and then say, oh yeah, so sorry about that. I think if it's really egregious, you come out with it in the beginning, and if it's something little that they are just picking on you for, you just say, look, I am, I'm a human being. And I think that's something we need to say more. I don't really love this driving people out of the public arena because of a mistake they made years and years and years ago. I think we conservatives need, and I think we do have grace when it comes to liberals and conservatives for mistakes that we have made in our past because we want people engaged in the political process. What the left is finding out now is that they have had a black and white perspective on this, and they are having to drive out their own or just pretend that it doesn't exist and look like great big old hypocrites. So I think just to be open and honest, but please do not wait until you know all the answers to all the questions. You never, ever will. You all have the fire and the determination and the philosophy. And I heard this morning when you all gave your introductions, introductions you have a belief system that is powerful, and our country and your campuses need to hear it. So get out there and tell them. God bless you. Thank you.